This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom, it's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Coming to you from the arena on the east side, it's episode 437 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. Okay, not really. I'm still in the podcast studio, but I am talking about On The Come Up, which is now streaming on Paramount+. And I'm going to be talking to the, one of the directors and the star of the of the movie, Sanal Lathan, and of course, Jamila Gray, who plays Brie in the movie. And you'll find out why this movie is far more than just about rap battles. It's a, it's a movie about family about legacy, about pressure. There's so many interesting aspects to this movie. I'll let them tell you all about it here coming up. Also, a trifecta of reviews this week. Going to be talking about Andor. Yep, going to drop a few spoilers in my review for the Andor premiere, the first three episodes that are now on Disney+. Plus. Also, the new Quantum Leap series from NBC. I'll give you my spoiler-filled review of that show, the premiere of that show, and we'll talk about the Infernal Machine from Paramount Pictures as well. Yes, I'll discuss the lack of Daredevil and She-Hulk, a Stargirl crossover possibility, and a whole bunch of new trailers that came out this week. But up next, going to talk to the stars and the director of All in the Come Up for Paramount Plus. Let's do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yo, yo, this is Cam Rush Johnson from the cast of Bad Woman. You are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Time to get into the arena and get into some verbal battles. On the come up, the brand new movie from Paramount Plus is now streaming. And oh, it is such a good one. And all sorts of interesting rap battles going on. And the daughter of one of the greatest rappers of all time that's really creating some controversy and just trying to live up to a legacy and so much more. I was so glad that I got a chance to talk to the stars and director Sanaa Lathan, who plays Jay. But I actually want to start out with Brie herself, Jamila Gray, to talk about playing Lil Law on on the come-up. Let's see what she had to say. Jamila, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? 
doing very, very well. Really enjoyed your work and, and on the come up. I got to say, though, Bree, there's a lot of pressure on this young girl. You've got a legacy to worry about. You've got family to worry about. So talk about how that pressure is kind of weighing on her, especially in the early going here. Well, I think that, you know, Bree has to deal with a lot at a very young age. She's forced to grow up really fast and become the caretaker of her family. And she doesn't really have any role models in her life that she can look up to and say, okay, this is this is who I want to be like. So it, it's very hard at first for her to find her own authentic voice and, and be proud of where she comes from. It's a very interesting dynamic, I think, that she has, not just with her mom, but with her aunt Pooh as well. Mm-hmm. And it seems like they're trying, right? But but it's not quite there yet. So talk about what that relationship is like. And, you know, which can, do you feel like she kind of leans one way, more one way than the other as far as that female influence in her life? Yeah, I, I think she has a lot of resentment toward her mother, especially in the beginning of the film. And it's hard, even though her mother is trying everything that she can, it's, it's really hard for her to look up to her and respect her just because of what she had done in the past. So Aunt, Aunt Pooh plays that kind of sister role to Brie, the one that she can be vulnerable with it and go to, but still cannot look up to. She can respect Aunt Pooh because Aunt Pooh does what she has to do to survive, but she can't look up to her. So she's trying to avoid spoilers there. That's what that is. And that's a very well done on your part, too. Very, very well done. So you've also got some a great group of friends Bree does in this movie, the friends that are almost like family. So talk about that core group and how important that is to her. Oh, yeah. the fam- Her group is like her, her family. They're her everything. They were raised together from birth. If you read the book, it, it kind of goes into their backstory a little bit more. And, and that's what I put pulled from to um, portray it correctly in the movie. But they're her everything. And I, I think even when they do have their pitfalls, they always have a way of coming back together because they, they love each other. No doubt about that. Jamila, I got to say, those, those rap battles were pretty vicious. I had no idea how vicious things could get in the arena, but it just seems so natural to you. So how much fun was it in those scenes in that moment? Cause that had to be a blast for you. Oh yeah. <laughs> it was so, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. I think Rhapsody did an amazing job of writing those battles and keeping them authentic. So when I picked up the paper to read them, it just came so naturally because it was so well written. It was just so well written. You could feel everything that, that Brie was saying and, and it felt like it was coming from Brie. No doubt, no doubt about that. And you can't stop her come up, and you'll find out why <laughs> on September the 23rd on Paramount+. Plus. That's when you'll see on the come up. Jamila Gray, thank you so much for your time. Thank I really you. appreciate it. You heard her talk about Mama. Let's hear from Mama herself, Sanaa Lathan, who plays Jay, and also directed on the come up as well. Great insight from her here. Sanaa, how you doing? I'm good. I'm down and nerdy. Yeah, that's what we like to hear. So, I mean, there were so many good things to like about On the Come Up, but I I feel like authenticity was really important to you, not just in your character, but as the director as well. So how important was it to bring that authenticity, not just for these rap battles, but for what life's actually like on the East Side as well? Absolutely. You know, for me, the, the stories that always are the most compelling to me are the stories that are truthful and where I recognize that truth. And I wanted that for this movie. I wanted that in the hip hop. I wanted that in the performances. And I just wanted it in the relationships between these characters. I love Angie Thomas's writing. It's very visual. 
you know, I, I, it was important to me that, you know, even though this is a, you know, a hood in America, that there was color and light, you know, very often we see, you know, hoods depicted in very dark and desaturated tones, oppressing tones. And because this was about a little girl and about hip hop and about growing up, I wanted, you know, that dimension. So yeah, authenticity was very important. And not just for you as a director, but um, Jay is such a wonderful character, I think, in this movie. And I think that hers is kind of a, an inspirational tale, actually, if you, if you ask me. So what was it like bringing that character to life and how do you view her? Yeah, Jay, um, I, 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 I kind of fell in love with her when I was working on the script. We were doing rewrites and I have a lot of people in my family and I'm sure many people do of uh, people who have struggled with addiction people who have who have succumbed to it and people who have triumphed over it and and I thought that that was important to show that you know somebody could be in the darkest depths of addiction and you know she get out of it like see her actually in the process of healing herself I talked to a woman who, a black woman who was sober 30 years from a major heroin addiction and she was very helpful. And one of her biggest regrets is, it, you know, abandoning her kids during that time. And 30 years later, even though she had made peace with everything else, that was the thing that still just kept her up at night is this shame, this guilt. And so, you know, I felt like Jay you know, it was very similar to that. And it was very helpful talking to her. Very quickly, Sanaa, how proud were you of this young cast bringing so many amazing performances to this thing? I was just, I felt so lucky. I love them all. I We did everything virtually because it was still the pen, you know, it still is the pandemic, but it was even deeper in. And I was so nervous about their chemistry because I'm like, how are you going to see chemistry on Zoom? But it worked out and they're even still friends to this day, which makes me so happy. And they worked hard and they're real professionals, you know, they did their homework. And so I'm really proud of them. On the Comic premieres on Paramount Plus on September the 23rd. Can't wait for you guys to see it. So not late. Then thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. So again, On the Comic is definitely more than just about the rap battles. It's a coming of age with an added pressure of a legacy that has been handed down to you whether you wanted it or not. You've also got the family struggles and this just deep story about what life is like in the East Side. I think that they've got that covered, all, all those bases covered and more on the come up now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Again, thanks to Sanaa Lathan and Jamila Gray for joining me to talk about on the come up. Up next... We're going to come up on our first review of the week and do it spoiler-filled with Andor. Talk about those first few episodes next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Lily Mirajnik from Happy. You're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's the beginning of a dawn of a revolution. Andor is finally on Disney+. And I'm going to go ahead and maybe give a spoiler-ish review of this. I don't want to spoil a ton, just in case you haven't had a chance to watch all three of the episodes that premiered yet. But I want to go ahead and drop a few spoilers because it'll be easier to talk about this thing, especially for the first episode. Some of the spoilers are going to come from the first episode. Of course, you know this follows 
Cassian Andor, the characters you know from Rogue One, who's played by Diego Luna, in his early days and how he gets involved in the whole rebellion in the first place, kind of. But he's not the only one that's the focus here. Far from the only one that's the focus. This is really an interesting side of the Empire in the series. And and I'll get to that in a second. But I want to talk about how... Just in general, this show is a very slow burn in the beginning. Like, seriously, I was surprised that the the first episode seemed to drag on forever. And maybe that's criticism, maybe it isn't. You know, you have to set the stage. Or do you? That was the thing that I was trying trying to kind of struggle with as I was watching this. Like, yeah, we know these characters already, some of them. We don't know all of them. There's a lot of Cassian. And you want that anyway, right? He's the he's the strength of the show. He's the main character of the show. You want a lot of him. But at the same time, I felt like they dragged out his backstory a little bit too much. And I normally don't say that, but that's kind of how I felt in this, especially as they're introducing new characters or characters we don't know as much about, like Luthen Rael, who's played by Stellan Skar- Skarsgård, or Genevieve O'Reilly's Mon Mothma and how she gets involved in the early going here as well, and how she's kind of like the straw that serves the drink. Didn't get enough of that in the first few episodes, that, more so than I thought we should. And then also you have Bix Colleen, who's played by Adria Arjona, and who's beautifully, by the way, and how she is involved in her relationship with Cassian as well. And it's a very complicated one to say the least, maybe some romantic things going on there. And then, and then you see kind of what happens to her as the first few episodes progresses, it's just those are characters that I was like, okay, let's get more on them. Now, would it be stupid to focus on them more and not the main character? Sure. But I think that there was a balance there and they didn't quite hit it in these first few episodes. I also thought that the catalyst was interesting. Like basically you've got a post bar brawl where these two empire security officers, whatever you want to call them are being dicks. You know, they kind of, you know, chase Cassian down and, and he ends up shooting one of them and he ends up killing one of them. So it's one of those things where you go, okay, yeah, that, that's a pretty big deal. But it's it's interesting that that's kind of the catalyst of what brought him in to the Empire. If you really want to think about it, that's that was the thing that, that sort of brought him in. That's what sent him on the run. That's what you know, led him to so many of these things. Now, was there plenty of stuff from his past? Did get him involved as well that we saw in flashbacks? Absolutely, from when he was younger. There's certainly plenty of that there as well. But that that was the straw that broke the camel's back, I thought was, you know, you, I, I, you could have come up with something a little bit better than that is, is where I was going with that. Maybe I'm nitpicking. I'm not saying that this is going to be a bad show just because of that, okay? So don't jump on my case for that one thing because it does pick up as the episodes progress. We know we've got 24 episodes anyway. So they've got a chance to take their time a little bit here. And it's just interesting to see Cassian and how he... There's a lot of mistrust on both sides, really. Because Cassian doesn't really trust what Luthen Rael is selling. And he's not sure he wants to get involved in the rebellion in the first place. That doesn't mean he loves the Empire. It just means he's like, nah, you know, I don't know if this is something I want to do. Now, obviously, you know, you fast forward and you know how that turns out. And you know how, you know, Mon Mothma gets involved as well. But slowly but surely, it's almost like a matter of survival for him. And, 
you know, the people from from where he from where he is really to kind of protect them. It's almost like a grassroots thing and how he eventually ends up deciding that he wants to get involved in the first place. And then once he does get there, nobody wants him there. They don't trust him. They don't know who he is. He's the mystery guy that just shows up. But Luthenrail sees something in him. It's almost like when Qui-Gon brought in Anakin as a kid, except for obviously Cassian's much older. You know, Qui-Gon just had this feeling about Anakin. Boy, was that somewhat misplaced, wasn't it? I, I, we could argue that point. We could be here all day arguing that point. But it's, it's almost like, you know, Luthen sees something in Cassie. He's like, they've got this gut feeling that he's the guy. He's the, he's the difference of, of them getting involved. And then he basically, you know, recruits him to what is basically seems like a suicide squad at the time to do this crazy mission. And everybody thinks they're going to die, basically. Now, we haven't got quite gotten that far yet. But I love the line that Cassian says, and I'm going to paraphrase because I don't remember it exactly, saying something along the lines of, the Empire is so arrogant, they never think that somebody like me is going to be able to just walk right through their front door and sneak up on them sort of thing. I thought that that was a brilliant line, and it was so, so prevalent in these first few episodes that, that the arrogance of the Empire is off the friggin' charts in this show so far, except for one guy, and it's Kyle Stoller's character of Cyril Karn. This guy is the, he's the bull. He's the one that's like, no, 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 this is a big deal. This person's a big deal. We need to be focusing more on this. And now not everybody's listening to him, especially right away. Nobody's really paying attention. He's a dog with a bone. He won't let it go. And it seems like everybody else wants to. But he's the guy that is going to be the biggest thorn in the side of Cassian and company in this show, at least in the first season anyway. He also seems like the kind of guy that spends an unusual amount of time with his mother. <laughs> I'm just saying. There's something about the, He's very unlikable right off the jump. I'm just, I'm just going to say that right now. He's the guy that, that you know has to have all the pictures straight on the wall, has to have his pencils lined up on the desk sort of thing. He has company man written all over him, and it just seems like even when he's at home, he's not really at home. And he's just, he's just, he's a strange guy, is I guess what I'm getting at, just overall in general. And then you have Denise Goh's character of Deidre, and she's the one that wants the power. She's the one that wants to be in charge. She's the one that wants to have that big get for the umpire, for the empire, and make a name for herself. And just start climbing up the ranks. And it's funny because they sort of, once they sort of meet each other, it's almost like this, I don't want to say love at first sight because that's not what it is. But it's a a mutual appreciation society more than anything else between Cyril and Daedra. And and you you kind of sort of see how this is going to go in future episodes between the two of them. But at the same time, then you've got the higher-ups. It's the haves and the have-nots that is very much on display in this show. So the higher-ups, very much so what Cassian said. They've, they don't think there's going to be a rebellion. They think, you know, how, on, how in the world could they even think that they could compete against us, against the Empire? It doesn't make any sense that they would even attempt this. They love what we're doing. We're great. They need us. 
they won't try to overthrow us. And there's a certain small group that goes, yeah, I think they will because I've seen some stuff and, and it's not good. So again, very slow burn in the first few episodes. I do think that things will pick up even more. They slowly started to pick up in episodes two and three after a very slow first episode. So get through that first one. If you're not sure, keep going because it does get better after that. But still, this one is the one thing I could say about Andor is potential. I think the show has potential to show us a side of Star Wars that we haven't really seen and a part of a story that hasn't really been told yet. Can it get there in a timely manner? I don't know. Can it keep things interesting for 24 episodes? Or are we going to have certain throwaway episodes here and there? I really hope that it's the former and not the latter. Because I'd really like this thing to get kicked up and locked in throughout both seasons of its run. So Andor now streaming on Disney Plus. New episodes dropping every Wednesday. Hopefully we get what we really need out of this show. That's going to do it for my spoiler-ish review of Andor. Up next, I have another review just waiting for you. As a matter of fact, going to talk about Quantum Leap, the new, I don't want to call it a reboot, and I'll tell you why next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. This is Arvind Ethan David, executive producer of Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Since we can't travel through time, I will go ahead and do it for you and give you my spoiler-filled review of the Quantum Leap premiere from NBC. It premiered this past week with the first episode. It is not a reboot, and I'll tell you why. Because they actually mention, if you haven't had a chance to watch it yet, they actually mention Sam Beckett in the show and how he kind of jumped and or leaped. Let's just, we can't call it jump, we can call it leap because it's quantum leap. He leaped and then he kind of just kind of got stuck there and, and never was able to return. So they're trying to figure out a way to fix that. So basically they're trying to fix what was broken with the leap in the first place so they're able to go ahead and do this again. And usually stuff like that is a bad idea. You see that in entertainment all the time where it's like, well, you know, this didn't work for them, but... I bet you we could get it to work and get it to work better. So that's exactly what they try to do anyway. And the man at the front of that is Dr. Ben Song, who, of course, is played by Raymond Lee, and Addison Augustine, who's played by Caitlin Bassett. Now, they we find out in the first episode that they're engaged. They're very much in love. But there's also somebody working behind the scenes that they don't know about, or the rest of the team doesn't know about anyway, 
but but Ben knows exactly who it is. And and that's the one thing that I won't spoil for you. He doesn't tell his team, he doesn't tell anybody. As a matter of fact, he's been trying looking for an excuse to slip out of this engagement party this whole time. He's, he gets a message on his phone and then off he goes. And you don't know why he doesn't tell anybody or anything like that. You really don't actually find out in this first episode why he doesn't. So he goes ahead and he does the leap. Everybody's surprised. And then there's a mad scramble to find out where he is and how to get him back and all of these other things. And Addison's really upset, not just because this is her fiance, but you find out later on the episode that the plan was that she was going to be the one doing the leaping and Ben would sort of be the man in the chair sort of thing, guiding her through. So not only is she upset because, you know, her fiance's not with her right now, but also, you know, she's been replaced without discussion. And Ben leaves her message saying, you know, this all makes sense. I had to do this when I did. And I'll explain it when I get back sort of thing. So, you know, there's some tropes and cliches that are involved in this thing. There's still the intrigue, though. There's still a little bit of intrigue as to, you know, the the other person that's kind of behind the scenes of this whole thing. And, you know, why he did what he did. There's still a little bit of that. So there's your ongoing story that's going to go with all of these different leaps and all the people that Ben is going to now be helping with the help of Addison you know, kind of talking to him is, the, is now the woman in the chair. So, and then, of course, you've got the team involved in well as well that's trying to figure out a way to just bring him back and just call, you know, kind of call the whole thing. I will say that they did try to keep the essence and the heart of the original Quantum Leap. I think they did an okay job of that. It kind of, that that's kind of one of those things that it is what it is, right? You kind of know what you're going to get with this show. So what is the thing that's going to make you want to watch this? Well, it's the new cast and their chemistry that will maybe make you want to watch this. I think that the chemistry between Raymond Lee and Caitlin Bassett is very, very good. I also like Mason Alexander Park. They play Ian Wright on the show and a very, very likable character. Sort of the tech person behind the scenes trying to figure out what's going on with this system and to, to bring Ben back. You've also got Ernie Hudson's character of Magic. Herbert Williams, is, is that's his actual formal name. He's the guy that kind of answers to the government, the guy that sort of helped get the project restarted in the first place and has to explain stuff like this when things go wrong and somebody goes rogue. So he's going to be the one that maybe ends up being the, the, fly on, the, the thorn in the side of this whole friggin' thing. We'll just have to wait and see. I thought the first leap was, you know, it was interesting enough. I don't think that it's a memorable one. though. That's the other thing. I mean, let's see. This aired on the 19th, which was Monday. And the podcast that gets posted every Friday, it's been less than a week. And I don't remember all the details from when I watched it on Monday of the leap. And I, and don't give me the whole, oh, you should do your homework if you're going to review it. I did. I'm trying to make a point here is that. I don't remember enough of the details to be able to make it memorable. It wasn't memorable enough is the point that I'm trying to get at. I can absolutely go through it with you, but what's the point of that? Especially if you haven't seen it yet, I don't want to spoil the whole thing. And yeah, there's the whole, the moral of the story is part of it too, and that's fine. But if you, you had to make your first leap a memorable one, I thought, and I don't really feel like they nailed that. I feel like this could have been 
something that we get in like one of the middle episodes or something like that when you're already hooked. That they it seemed like they were saying, okay, you're going to get hooked on the long-term story of the why he did the leap, who was involved, and how this affects you know the whole project. So they're they're banking on the fact that that is the thing that's going to hook you. And not that first leap and saying, oh, well, that first leap was great. And if that one was great, how great is the next one going to be? Now, you also don't necessarily want to set yourself up to have one atop yourself every week. But don't you kind of? You want to get better every week, right? So, again, I think that this is going to be one of those shows that if you enjoy the characters, you'll enjoy it weekly. But I do think it'll have some up and down episodes depending on how much you're interested in the leap, what time period they're in, and some of those characters that are involved as well. There's a lot of factors at play as to whether or not you're going to like this show. If you're just a diehard fan of the original show and the original cast, it feels different enough that I don't feel that connection to the original show. I mean, I know that there is one, but the the concepts are the same, but the vibe just feels different to me. So if you're a fan of the original series, you probably hate this. Uh, that's my guess. But if you're not, this is certainly something that you can enjoy or if the concept is what you loved about the original Quantum Leap, I do think that you'll like this one as well. And there's there's a little bit of twists. To, there's enough twists to make it different enough that it's not a carbon copy. So I do like that. But I, I'm going to go ahead and say I'm going to give this one a couple more chances to see how it goes and see if I end up liking the next episode even more. Quantum Leap airs every Monday on NBC. You can actually watch it again on Peacock as well. That's going to do it for my spoiler, I guess, ish review of the Quantum Leap premiere. Up next, it's time to bust out the typewriter and talk about The Infernal Machine, the new movie from Paramount Pictures. Give me my spoiler-free review of that next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Camila Moreno from The CW's Mayo Me, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. No cryptic messages here, just my spoiler-free review of the Infernal Machine, which is actually from Paramount Pictures, which is out right now. And it's very, very interesting concept. Actually, it was written and directed by Andrew Hunt, and it's based on the Hilly Earth Society, which was written by Lewis Cornfield. Now, this stars Guy Pierce. And when I say it stars Guy Pierce, you get a lot of Guy Pierce. So if you're a Guy Pierce fan, this is definitely for you. Yeah, I would call this a psychological thriller. It's actually in the synopsis as well. And Bruce Cogburn is Guy Pierce's character. He's an author. He wrote basically one book called The Infernal Machine, and it actually led to a very tragic event. There was a, the, the per, Somebody said there was a cryptic message in the book, and something happens based on that. I'm going to try not to spoil too much of this for you, but basically what happens here is that this sends Cogburn into hiding. He's, he ends up being very reclusive. He kind of sends himself away from society. That is until an obsessive fan starts writing him letters and, and pestering him, a fan that he he's not familiar with at all, by the way. Now, what kind of spins out of this is you get... Cogburn gets tortured pretty good in this movie mentally. I will tell you that right now. But at the same time, that kind of leads the first... Maybe 45 minutes of this movie. I was going to say 30, but I think I'll go 45. To drag on a little bit longer than it has to. Obviously, you want to hammer home the psychological torture that this person is putting Cogburn through. But at the same time, you're going, okay. Like, I get it. 
you're, they're screwing with him on purpose, and they're trying to make him spiral out of control. I get it. And Cogburn seems like a pretty easy mark because he's paranoid, and he's obviously been through some stuff mentally, and you know it's not, it's not difficult to sort of push his buttons. But then, once, you fu- once things start to finally become clearer about what's really going on with these messages that he's being sent, and, and exactly what he's dealing with, it starts to get interesting. And then you start to pick out little clues and little things that you, you, were, you were paying attention to, but not paying attention to close enough. And then once it gets spelled out a little bit easier for you, you start to go, oh, okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. And the movie starts to reel me back in. At least it did for me. It did for me. Started to reel me back in. I'm like, okay. So I was out of this, but now I'm kind of interested. Now I'm wondering what's really going on here. But then a couple of other things happen. Sort of in the mid, there's a couple of reveals, one of which wasn't really surprising to me. But then there was another one that did kind of surprise me at the same time. And again, I can't tell you what this is because that's a spoiler. But there's one character that isn't who they seemed they were, seemed they were and you go, okay, well, that's kind of interesting. But then there's another reveal later on after that where, and it's at a very pivotal moment in the movie. And you're like, okay, that's interesting. It's something that Cogburn says to another character. I can tell you that much where you go, okay, huh? How does that make sense? And then you, you look and you go, well, that's a twist. That's the twist you should have been building from the beginning. And you didn't. You waited until three quarters of the way through the movie to start building on this twist after you've already given me the twist. So you're backtracking. And this isn't something that you should have been paying attention to at the beginning of the movie either. I will tell you that much right now. They don't really lay the groundwork for this at all until toward the end of the movie. And that's not really how twists are supposed to work, at least not for me anyway. So it would have been so much more impactful if they'd started setting this up from the beginning. Instead, they set up the cryptic messages that, you know, you can eventually decode and things like that, which is fun and great. But this twist could have had so much more impact. This last twist could have had so much of a bigger impact if they'd set this up from the, not maybe not even from the beginning, but at least at some point in the early part of the movie, and they just didn't, and it didn't make, it was still an interesting twist, but at the same time, it made me frustrated that, like, this could have meant so much more, it would have made the movie so much better had they set that up, instead they throw this in as if they're thinking, well, they're losing interest, we better give them something right now that they're not expecting, and see if we can get them back and end up liking the movie at the end. So they throw that in there almost knowing that things aren't going well in their movie and they need to do something about that. Now, that just made this really, really up and down and all over the place for me. When it was a linear story and it was actually, you know, was being told, you know, at least in a sequence that made sense, it was kind of boring in the beginning. The very beginning is when you had good linear storytelling and then you start plucking stuff from everywhere and it becomes a little bit, you know, a little bit jumbled and out of sorts. It's not hard to follow. You could still follow it. But at the same time, you find yourself going, well, why didn't we do that earlier? Why didn't we do that? And then there's also kind of a, 
a thing that didn't really need to be there to me with one of the characters. Now, it sets up one of the climactic moments, and, and maybe you use that to draw out that twist that I was telling you about. But again, I feel like you could have done that a different way anyway. And if you were already pushing him mentally, you could have made that happen a different way with this Cogburn character. And I hope and I hope that'll make sense when you watch the movie. But when you're trying to review stuff without spoilers and there's giant twists, then you gotta kinda dance around it a little bit. But again, it's not even that the twist was bad. It was just set up badly. And it made it not matter as much. And that was the frustrating thing. So, again, if you're a Guy Pierce fan, I think you're going to dig, dig this. It's not a bad psychological thriller either. It kind of reminded me at some points of that movie, The Game, with Michael Douglas, which was really, really twisted. And the game, now the game was better, but it kind of had that same vibe to me. And one of the twists reminded me of something in the game as well. So this movie is, I think it's one of those interesting ones that you could find like on demand or if you were streaming or if you were finding on streaming service, I think this is definitely worth a watch in the theater. I don't know because I think you're going to be frustrated like I was and you're going to wonder if it was worth the money to do that. I'm not telling you not to go see it because I do think it's interesting. And again, if you're a Guy Pierce fan, you're going to get which you pay for, for sure. And Alice Eve, by the way, very, very good in this movie and limited work as well. And I can't, I think Jeremy Davies also does a good job too. So it's, it's cast well, but the writing is a little bit all over the place. It drags in, in more than one spot, not just in the beginning, but in the beginning, it really drags. So just go into this knowing, if you're going to watch the, the Infernal Machine from Paramount Pictures, go into this knowing that there are going to be payoffs at some point, they're not necessarily going to be when you want them to be, and you might be frustrated by when you, when you get them. That, that's just what my takeaway was. But, I mean, see the movie. Let me know what you think for yourself. That's going to do it for my review of The Infernal Machine from Paramount Pictures. Up next, yes, there's nerd news to talk about. I've got a few opinions to throw in as well. That's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Rick Remender, comic book nerd of note, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. You won't like Marvel fans when they're angry. It's time for nerd news. And sometimes I like to throw my opinions in here on nerd news stuff. You know that if you've listened to the show before. So I'm actually going to start out with one because I want to talk about She-Hulk a little bit. As we head towards the finale, there's something that fans have been promised and they're not getting it. Haven't gotten it so far. Six episodes in and you're still waiting. Right? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Daredevil, Matt Murdock, Charlie Cox. You're waiting. For that payoff in She-Hulk and you haven't gotten it yet. You thought you would have gotten it already and you didn't. And now you're angry. And part of me is like, all right, I get it. I understand that. But the other part of me also says, this is She-Hulk attorney at law. That's the show. That's what you're supposed to be watching it for. And if the sole reason that you're watching She-Hulk is because... Of Daredevil, what are you doing? You know you're going to be getting Daredevil born again at some point. You know that Charlie Cox will probably show up in something before then, right? And we know we know it's going to be this eventually. But here's my thing. You're six episodes in. Have you really been watching every episode going, this is it. This could be it. This could be it. And is that payoff really worth it for you? Like if you are genuinely watching this show and you don't enjoy it, 
which I don't know why you would do that to yourself, why you would waste your time, is seeing Charlie Cox's Daredevil really worth it? Because what's probably going to happen is it's going to be your first taste of the reality sandwich that this is not going to be the same Daredevil that you saw on Netflix. So if anything, this will be an eye-opening experience for you likely when you finally do see him. Now, you've already seen him in Spider-Man No Way Home. Already saw that, okay? So it's not like this is his first time as Matt Murdock in the MCU. It's just not. Because we know that Spider-Man No Way Home, Tom Holland, Spider-Man, is part of the MCU anyway. So again, not even the first appearance in the MCU. So it's not like it's this monumentous thing. And I don't know how that payoff really, really makes it worth it for you. So if you're just watching She-Hulk because you want to see Daredevil, then just wait until freaking Twitter tells you that Daredevil showed up on this week's episode for people that are actually watching the show. And then you can go, oh, it's episode seven. I guess I should go watch that. I'm not saying it's episode seven. I don't know when it's going to be. I know they've been teasing this thing, but that's what shows are supposed to do. They're supposed to tease things that are coming. Now, is this show dragging on painfully a little bit? I actually thought that She-Hulk started pretty strong and it's faded ever since, whereas Andor is exactly the opposite. I tweeted that the other day. It seems like Andor starts painfully slow and then builds up. I saw, I told you that in the review a few minutes ago. She-Hulk's exactly the opposite. I thought it started out fun and exciting and it's sort of started to fizzle ever since and it keeps promising things that it's not delivering on. And yeah, I understand that that's frustrating, but just in general, the story's a little all over the place. The writing's all over the place. And the story's starting to drag out a little bit too much as they head toward their finale, which is not something that you want to do. So I'm just saying that if you really, really aren't enjoying She-Hulk, instead of bitching about it on social media every week when Matt Murdock, Daredevil, doesn't show up, just wait until somebody tells you that this is the week, this is the episode. So if that's what you really want to see, then that's what you're going to get. Because, you know, the complaining, it just doesn't do anybody any good. Here's something that we might be promised and might not be. Breck Bassinger, of course, I had on the show a few weeks ago to talk about DC's Stargirl, had a very interesting post on social media. It was a picture of her and Titan star Ryan Potter, who plays Gar Logan on Titans. So, and the caption read something along the lines of, I don't have it in front of me, but it's read something along the lines of, bumped into a friend in Toronto or something like that. Of course, Titans filmed in Toronto. Stargirl isn't. That's filmed in Atlanta, if I'm not mistaken. So, here's the thing. Is this an actual crossover that's going to happen or not? It seems like it is. Is it going to happen on Stargirl? Is it going to happen on Titans? There's no way we could possibly know that. Here's the deal, though. You've watched both shows, right? They couldn't be more different tonally. So, I don't know. Let's not even get into the whole, you know... Earth 2, Earth 9, Earth Prime. So we won't get into the whole multiverse thing right this second. What I'm saying is is that as far as tone goes, these shows could not be further apart. So does a crossover even make sense? Are you doing this just to do it? Or are you doing this because it's actually going to lead to something and go somewhere? I don't know if doing it just to do it is okay enough. Although if you're going to do it, I guess it would be with Gar because Beast Boy would fit the mode in some way, shape, or form, right? And he's already shown up on Titans and Doom Patrol, so then you bring that connection in 
as well. And it seems like Gar is the one character that can jump into all of these different worlds and have it make sense, I guess. But will this cause a problem with the whole multiverse thing? Yeah, maybe. It certainly could. But, you know, a lot of these CW shows can be on borrowed time anyway, so you never really know. And keep in mind, Stargirl actually was supposed to be a DC Universe show originally, and they got moved to the CW. It actually aired on both in the first season, moved to the CW in the second season. But you catch my drift. So it's not like these worlds couldn't have coexisted early on at some point if they wanted to. So keep that in mind as well. My thing here is, though, is that does this make sense? I don't know. I'm very curious to see how they make it make sense if this does, in fact, become a thing. But you know what? I'm all for it. Let's give it a shot. Why not at this point? Because I think it actually could be fun if it's done right. And does this mean there's a future for the Stargirl character beyond the possible CW series? I guess we'll have to wait and see on that as well. Got to talk about a few trailers that just popped this week. Strange Worlds from Walt Disney Animation is the first one. And I got to tell you, this is the kind of visual feast that I expect from Walt Disney Pictures Animation. When I see a trailer, when I see a movie, this is a standard that I see. This movie is going to be about a legendary family of explorers, the Clades, and they attempt to navigate an uncharted and treacherous land alongside this motley crew of mysterious and mischievous blobs and three-legged dogs and all these different ravenous creatures. That's the synopsis, basically. And you see all of these creative creature designs. You see just this world where your eyes going all these different places to find out what the hell am I looking at right now. And that's exactly how these explorers themselves feel. Now, it's not just going to be about that, though. It's going to be about, you know, this family is not exactly a tight-knit family, apparently. There's three generations of them on this journey. So they're going to, you know, while they're exploring, you know, maybe they'll find some stuff out about their family life and how they can all come together and be one happy family again sort of thing. Disney always has that sort of, you know, the moral of the story, as it were. For this thing. I mean the cast is legit. You got Jake Gyllenhaal is going to be part of this thing. Dennis Quaid will be in this as well. Gabrielle Union will be a part of this. Lucy Liu. And a whole bunch more. This is actually from the minds behind Big Hero 6. And Raya the Last Dragon. Too. This thing is going to be coming out. In theaters on November the 23rd. So Thanksgiving week. Is where you're going to be able to see Strange World. From Disney Animation. I got to tell you. it looks The action looks great. The designs look great. Just this world, again, like I said, is one that you can't take your eyes off of. I think this one has a chance to be really, really neat. And I cannot wait for that Thanksgiving reveal. Speaking of reveals, we finally got a first look at Sonic Prime from Netflix. The new series still scheduled for winter of this year. That's the best thing that they have for us so far. Wild Brain doing the animation for this, by the way. Of course, Sega executive producing with Man of Action and Eric Weiss as well. We know that the first episode's actually going to be 40 minutes. Though, by the way, going to get eight episodes total. It's CG animation, but it actually looks more like a video game, top-end video game design animation than anything else, which I think is, is kind of cool. And the animation does look really, really good. We don't get a whole lot of dialogue or storyline in the trailer itself, but we do know from the logline that Netflix released, is that Sonic's going kind of against Dr. Eggman, and there's a universe-shattering event that happens, and he's trying to piece his prime reality 
back together. Now he's trying to save his old friends. He's going to meet some new ones as well. And some maybe some new foes as well as he kind of navigates through. Again, Strange Worlds. So Strange Worlds is almost the theme for this week's trailer talk. If you want to, if you want to go there, I guess. But again, if you're a Sonic fan, I think you got to be excited about this because I think it's going to give a, a good mix of new and old. At least that's the hope. Anyway, that that's what we're going to get. So I think that this is something that you can go. Okay, I'm cautiously, if, if nothing else, be cautiously optimistic about it. I think because the the trailer gave pretty good vibes. The animation. Looks good. It looks like you've got Sonic the way Sonic was meant to be presented. Not that the movies have done a pretty good job with that too, the live action movies, but I think this one, for some reason, I get a really good feeling about Sonic Prime. And hopefully, we'll get a release date here pretty soon, although I don't know that we'll get this before December. Probably, if you're talking winter of 2022, that would be late December, right? So think late December for Sonic Prime. That's, that's what I'm thinking right now. Finally, get a full trailer for the Midnight Club as well, which is the series from Mike Flanagan, which is going to be coming out on October the seventh. That's when you're going to get all ten episodes. We didn't really didn't know much about the show other than the teaser that got released. I believe it was during Geek Week, right? So now we get a little bit more of an idea of what we're going to be looking at. We still know that this is a hospice for it seems like teenagers, twenty somethings, things like that. And there's eight members of this Midnight Club. They meet at the basement. And they basically tell these creepy stories. And then, you know, they look for signs of the supernatural, signs, something from the beyond, right? But there's also this theme of, you know, what if we're not destined to die? What if there's a way that we all could live? Sort of thing. And it seems like that exploration starts to unleash things that maybe you shouldn't unleash. You're going places that maybe you shouldn't be going. So I think that that is the interesting thing that got brought out in this trailer is that, you know, first of all, they, they, they try and tell one of the characters like, hey, don't go in the basement. Don't go in the basement. And then when she does, that's when she finds the Midnight Club. It's like everybody knows that this is a bad idea and they're going to try and do it anyway. Because when you're faced with the possibility of death, that's the thing that really kind of everything else goes out the window, right? And at some point, survival instincts kick in. And I think that that's part of what's happening here, especially when you start to make friends. You don't want anything to happen to them either. Then that's when things really, really can get dangerous and can get very interesting as well from a storytelling standpoint. Now, will this end up lining up with Midnight Mass? That's the question that I've had from the beginning once these two things were announced. We don't know that yet. But some of the same actors, at least, are going to be involved in both, we still don't have that answer in this trailer, so I'm going to wait for that. But Midnight Club looks like a really, really cool series that I cannot wait to check out. I don't want to leave without saying that this is a series that was created by Mike Flanagan and Leah, Leah Fong, by the way, based on the work of Christopher Pike. So a lot of creative minds here. That's one of the reasons to be excited about the Midnight Club, October the 7th on Netflix. Another one that popped up from 20th Century Studios that I wanted to talk about, and I didn't expect to talk about this this week, it's Rosaline. And it's kind of a different take on Romeo and Juliet, and it's set through the perspective of Romeo's ex, Rosaline, who she, you know, he leaves her for, for Juliet, essentially. Now, basically, you could throw out the history that you know 
about Romeo and Juliet, except for a few things. Because this is very much a comedic take on it, first of all. Second of all, this is a almost like a what-if type story, which makes it fun. And I really, really love that they decided to go, you know what, let's not be all stuffy and weird about this. Let's just go ahead and have some fun. And you've actually got Ju- Ju- Juliet's cousin, by the way, is Rosaline's Juliet's cousin. So that should be, you know, something that I should put out there. And of course, we've got Romeo and Juliet. They're a part of the story as well. And you see just the hilarious things that Rosaline's trying to do to convince Juliet to not marry Romeo. It's pretty. F- it's pretty funny, actually. Caitlin Denver's a part of this. Isabel Merced, Kyle Allen, and Sean Teal are in the main cast. And you'll be able to see this one on Hulu on October the 14th. Again, it's just, it looks weird. It's fun. It's different. And that's all I ask, right? You're taking something that you know, that everybody knows and you're putting a different spin on it. I think that's a really, really neat thing to do. So yeah, sign me up for Rosaline October the 14th on Hulu. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to the stars and creator behind on the come up, make sure you're watching that this week on, on Paramount Plus. Also, find us on social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram, at Down and Nerdy on Facebook, at Down and Nerdy Pod on TikTok. If you want to find us online, it's Down and Nerdy Podcast.com. Wherever you get your podcasts as well, make sure you're subscribing. You can also listen on the Realm app if you like. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.